Father, this morning, as we as a church come together to read from your word, I pray, Lord, for your blessing. And Lord, I pray for your help. Lord, this is your word. And we're not gathered here today to hear what I have to say. We're gathered here this morning to hear what you have to say. And so, Lord, I pray as we read your word that, Lord, you would help me to speak well from it, but, Lord, help all of us to understand what it says. And, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged by it, that, Lord, our hearts would just have more belief in you as a result of reading your word, more faith, more courage. And, Lord, I pray that as we study these two texts, And as we talk about the times in life as we go through deep struggles and hardships, Lord, I pray that you will train us this morning, train our hearts to recognize your grace and your sovereignty in the midst of our struggles and hardships in life. We pray for that, Father, in the name of Jesus, amen. So I'm confident with this number of people in the room, I'm confident this morning that there are some of you here and you are in the midst of a really hard season. Maybe it's just been a bad week for you at work, at home, or whatever it is. Maybe it's been a really bad month for you or or even a bad year. But you're just in a season where there's a lot of hardship and there's a lot of frustration and you can't quite see the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe you're in a season where your mental health has been a challenge and it's been a long season in that. Maybe your marriage is rocky right now and being at home isn't the most fun thing for you. Maybe you're lonely and bored in life and you're just disappointed in the way things are going. On the other hand, I'm sure that there are people in here this morning who are, this is a good season for you. Things are going great. The job's going well, family's going well, and you're encouraged, and, and that's good. We need to praise God and celebrate God for those things. But here's the thing, no matter who you are, no matter if you're in a good time of life right now or a hard time of life, we all hit struggles and hardships in our life. The reality of struggle is a universal part of the human experience. And so what I think though is unique is I think there's something unique about the times that we live in. Yes, struggle and hardship is universal part of the human experience, but I think how we medicate those struggles, how we try to numb ourselves or distract ourselves from those struggles is unique to this time. You know, is this why we are now seeing statistics about the hours and hours and hours that people spend on social media crafting an online persona and then feeling shame when their persona doesn't meet what they see other people put out there on social media? Or the statistics that are coming in that are showing us the hours and hours and hours people are now spending in front of Netflix every night, every weekend. I mean, today, if you're drowning in debt and finances are a hard thing for you, it's so easy to swipe the credit card or take out another loan and just borrow your way out of feeling the struggle 
of life. I think we increasingly live in a society that believes deep down in its soul that nothing good comes from struggle. That struggle is bad, we don't wanna experience it, and since we have all of these new ways to medicate, to numb ourselves, to distract ourselves from struggle, the temptation is to do those things until that circumstances in life passes by. But here's what I wanna talk about this morning. Being a Christian and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it does not make you immune to struggles in life. God does not promise to exempt people from struggle who have a really strong faith or a great knowledge of the Bible. There might be some who preach that, but they're wrong. Being a Christian does not exempt us from struggle, but it does reveal to us that God's grace is present in the struggle. It reveals to us that the struggles and hardships we go through in life, are, they're not an accident. They're not merely circumstantial. They're actually for our joy. We've been studying the book of Jonah together as a church over the last several weeks. I believe this is part five in Jonah. And today, I wanna look specifically at Jonah chapter two, Because in Jonah 2, we see a turning point in Jonah's heart that was caused by a significant hardship that Jonah goes through. But let me remind you of the story, get us up to speed. In the beginning of the book, God comes to Jonah, who's one of his prophets, and says, hey, I want you to travel east from Israel over to Nineveh, and I want you to preach against that city. But the thing was is that Jonah hated the Ninevites. So he didn't want to go. So he decides to head west in the opposite direction. He gets on a ship and he sails west, but God was serious when he asked Jonah to go to Nineveh. So what God does is send a storm. And this storm rocks the ship that he's on and eventually the sailors figure out that Jonah's the cause of the storm and they toss him overboard. And then Jonah, as you know, gets swallowed by a giant fish. That's why the story is famous. And Jonah chapter two is a prayer that Jonah prays in the belly of the fish. And in the prayer, we see Jonah's heart change. And this morning, I want us to study this prayer because it's going to show us how to recognize the grace of God in the midst of the struggles that we go through in life. So let's, let's read this prayer together. Jonah chapter two, I'm gonna read this chapter for us. And then we'll see what it teaches us. Jonah two. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Here's his prayer. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, and you heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the hearts of the seas, and the current overcame me. All of your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. 
I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, if you notice in verse six, Jonah uses the word pit, a pit, you know, a pit in the ground to describe the situation he was in. He was tossed into a pit. And this word pit is common word in the Old Testament to describe being in the midst of great struggle and hardship. And so when Jonah talks about being in the pit, he's talking about being in a circumstance where you can see no way out. There's no light down there. There's no way to crawl yourself out. You are stuck in the pit. And for many of us, when we face struggles in life, it feels like we've been tossed into a deep pit and there's no way out. When you're in the midst of a deep depression or you're facing anxiety attacks or panic attacks and everyone around you has never experienced that before, feels like you've been tossed into a pit and there is no way out. Or if you're drowning in debt and bills and you can't get out of it, I mean, it feels like that pit just keeps getting deeper. Or, or if you're lonely and bored in life and you don't like how your life has turned out so far, it can feel like a pit that's not even worth trying to climb out of anymore. But in Jonah's prayer, here's what we see. We see that the pit is no accident. And what I wanna do is I wanna show you three ways that we see God's grace in the pit from this prayer in Jonah 2. That's what I'm gonna show you, three ways. So here's, here's number one. The first way that we see God's grace in the pit is this. God throws us in the pit and there's grace in his presence. When you look at Jonah's prayer, Jonah sees everything that has happened to him as being actively caused by God. We saw that in chapter two, verse three, where he very clearly says, you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas. Actually, the sailors threw him in. But, but he says, nope, God, you threw me into this sea. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. It's, you know, it's interesting to see that Jonah is giving God the credit for what the struggle that he's in. And the whole book of Jonah highlights this fact. I mean, if you look at this, uh, Jonah chapter one, verse four, right? It says, the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, which caused the storm. That word threw uh, in the Hebrew there is like the Lord wielding a weapon. He threw that storm into the sea. Uh, chapter one, verse 17 says that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Uh, chapter two, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish to vomit him on dry land. Chapter four, verse six, the Lord God appointed a plant 
to grow, to give Jonah shade. Verse seven, the Lord appointed a worm to kill that plant. Verse eight, the Lord God appointed a scorching east wind to make Jonah hot. So there's no question that the book of Jonah wants the reader to understand that nothing has happened in this book that is accidental or circumstantial. This is caused by God. And as we read through every one of God's intentional actions in this book, what we see is his presence and we also see his purpose for every single one of those actions. God is not out of control. And God's aim in everything that he causes is good and it's for Jonah's joy, it's for Nineveh's joy, and it's for the sailor's joy on that boat. We will all face storms and struggles in life. We will experience the pit. And sometimes that's due to our own sin, like Jonah. Sometimes that experience is due to other people's sin. But with God, nothing is random. God's presence is still there. He still uses the pit for your joy. And I know you might be thinking, okay, well, That's not that comforting to me. That one of the ways that I see God's grace in the pit is that he threw me into it. Well, then you may not like point two. Point two, where do we see God's grace in the pit? Well, God bottoms us out in the pit and there's grace in his plan. If you look at chapter two, starting verse five, Jonah says, the water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Jump to verse seven. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Right at the end. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice with the voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We see here that a change occurred in Jonah's heart as he hit rock bottom in the pit. You know, one of the God's ways of changing our heart is by bottoming bottoming us out in the pit getting us to the place where we give up on trying to climb out, getting us to the place where we go, I have nothing else left but to cry out to you. See, God loves the Ninevites, and he wants them to be saved. Jonah hates the Ninevites, and he has an irreverence for God. And so what God does is he puts them in the pit, and it's at the very bottom of that pit where we see Jonah say something like in verse nine where he says, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you. Well, what is Jonah sacrificing? You know, I think oftentimes when we're in the pit, the battle that's going on inside of us is this battle between the vision that we have for our life and the vision that God has for our life. We have a vision and a desire for our life to look a certain way, and oftentimes that's in conflict with the vision that maybe God has for our life. Six or seven years ago, uh, my wife and I began trying to have kids. 
We had this vision of a family with a lot of kids running around that looked like us, that had my eyes or my wife's eyes and our features. But like many couples, getting pregnant was not easy for us. We ran into a lot of medical issues. And two years of not being able to conceive, after two years of not being able to conceive a child, two years of hoping and praying that maybe this month will be the month. In two years of disappointment, after all of that, my wife and I decided to maybe attend an informational meeting to learn about becoming foster parents at Fairfax County. We did all the paperwork, interviews to get invited into the training, and literally the week that we begun the training, we got pregnant with our son Leland. But we kept doing the training because we were now excited about being foster care, uh, foster care parents. And so a year after our son was born, we completed all of that training and we became certified foster care parents. Two weeks later, we got a call. There's a little girl who was born the day before at Fairfax Hospital who needed a home. Less than 12 hours from getting that call, my wife and I picked our now daughter up, Christy. We continue to be foster parents to this day and we're excited for the life ahead of us, inviting kids into our home who are in a pit that many of us will never experience. See, God took my wife and I into the pit and he bottomed us out. He took us to a place where we said, we're not gonna be able to have kids on our own. And he said, guys, let me just take that vision that you have for your life and let me just replace it with something so much better. You have no idea. Just trust me. And now my wife and I look back on that pit and we see that little blonde haired girl running around and we praise God for that pit. We are so thankful. What is the vision you have for your life? Is it a vision of lots of money in the account or a perfect career or a vision of the family that you always dreamed of or a house with a backyard or perfect health with no pain or complications? None of those things are bad to dream about and to want and desire, but I promise you they don't bring you the joy that God has for you and what he wants for your life. And it is God's grace on your life that he would let you experience a pit so that he can lead you into that vision for your life. Third reason that we see, or third way, I'm sorry, that we see God's grace in the pit is this, that God lifts us out of the pit and there's grace in his patience. We saw in, in verse six, the end of verse six, it says, then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. God will not keep you in the pit forever. We see God's grace and his patience with us, his kindness in wanting to shepherd our hearts toward a greater trust in him and a greater joy. And so as we saw two weeks ago, Jonah did repent in this prayer. God, 
puts him back on dry land. Jonah does go and obeys God. He preaches to all of Nineveh. Nineveh repents, but then Jonah reverts back to where he was in chapter one. He's furious that God would let Nineveh repent of their sin and he would save them. And so God had another pit for Jonah in chapter four through the whole encounter with the plants that we've talked about. So, so God doesn't keep us in the pit until we're perfect. He uses the pit to shepherd us toward joy and he will lift us out of the pit. A couple of Fridays ago, my wife and I, my, uh, my wife and my son were out of town. They were in Dallas visiting her mom. Um, I had Christy with us at home and I dropped her off at school and I just had Fridays I usually take off so I had this rare moment where I was like, oh, I have nothing to do. So I was, okay, what am I gonna do? Everybody's gone. So I decided to drive out to Western Loudoun and, and go hiking up on Bear's Den. If you don't know, it's part of the Appalachian Trail, and it's this beautiful overlook over the valley there. So I hike up. It's a beautiful day. The skies are blue. It's a little breezy, and there's these little isolated clouds in the sky kind of floating across the sky. And since I was up on the mountain over, looking over this vast valley, I could see the isolated shadows caused by these small clouds traveling across the valley. And I thought to myself, this is God's perspective of our life. He sees the light all around us. And every once in a while, we spend some time in the pit, in the shadow. God's presence is still with us. He still has a plan. He's patient with us. He knows when the shadow is going to hit. And he knows when the shadow is going to go away. But we don't have that perspective. The sun's blocked. We're in the shadow. And to our perspective, it's an endless storm cloud that will not go away. But to God, it's a small cloud passing through the vast timeline of your life. And listen, it's for your joy. He's got it under control and he will lift you out of the pit. Look, we're always gonna be tempted to waste our time in the pit, to believe that nothing good can come out of our struggles and hardships in life, and just the best thing to do is numb ourselves, distract ourselves until it passes. But it really is God's grace on your life that he is sovereign over the pit, because he really is after your joy. And we know this is true because Jesus Christ came, took on human flesh, and not only endured the pit of God's punishment and wrath, but he conquers it. And so because of what Christ has accomplished for us, the pit is not something we have to fear, but it's actually something we can embrace. So how do we not waste our time in the pit? And I think the answer is in Philippians. If you go to Philippians, chapter two, verse five, Paul tells us, he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. How do we not waste our time in the pit? Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And I think Paul's gonna explain to us in the next few verses what that means. And so to close our time, what I wanna do is I wanna use the example of Christ in Philippians 2, and I want to give you three ways to not waste your time in the pit. So here's number one. The first way not to waste your time in the pit is to embrace 
God's sovereignty. Embrace his sovereignty. If you look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 6, it talks about what Christ did. It says, Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, living with God in heaven, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. It was God's sovereign will to send his son, Jesus Christ, to become a man. Jesus knew his ultimate destination was the pit of God's wrath as he took the punishment of our sin on the cross. But we see here that Jesus embraces this plan. And as we go through an experience in the pit, we need to embrace God's sovereignty of our circumstance. Now listen, this doesn't mean that it's not hard. This doesn't mean that we don't emote. I mean, if you look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew God's will and God's plan. He was 100% in. But hours before he was gonna go to the cross in the garden, he's kneeling before God, sweating blood because he's so stressed out. Asking God, God, is there any other way? But yet, not my will, God, but your will. Sometimes what can hinder us from finding comfort in God's sovereignty over the pit in our lives is our belief that a good God would never allow us to go into the pit. Some of us have experienced some pretty dark and evil things in our life. How could a good God allow that? And the truth is, we live in a fallen world where we will experience the pit due to our sin and due to sins of others around us. But the comfort of God's sovereignty is that God is able to take what is broken in this world and redeem it for our joy. That's why we should embrace the sovereignty of God. And because God is a God of redemption, when we are in the pit, we also need to do this. Second way that we, not, we do not waste our time in the pit is we need to embrace our weaknesses. We learn in Philippians 2 that Jesus took on human flesh, and with that, he took on weakness. He humbled himself, right? Chapter 2, starting the last part of verse 7, says, and when he had become uh, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Uh, earlier, we talked about how when we're in the pit, many times there's a battle going on inside of us between the vision that we have for our life and the vision that God has for our life. And one of the ways that God uses the pit to win this battle in our hearts is to help us embrace our own weaknesses. Uh, not too long ago, I faced one of the deepest pits of my life. I was pastoring at another church, and I was part of making a decision in the church that angered a lot of people. I still believe to this day that it was the right decision made with good, godly motives. But I lost a lot of friends, and I lost my reputation. Now, as I was in that pit, I could have focused on all the reasons why it was not fair that I was in the pit. 
I could have had the worldview that nothing good will come from this. My vision for my life in the pit was that I would be found to be vindicated, that I would be found to be the one in the right, not in the wrong, to show that there was no flaw in me. Or I could embrace God's sovereignty and the whole experience and not be afraid to let this experience in the pit expose my weaknesses. And as it turns out, it exposed a lot. Exposed a lot of areas of sin and pride, places that I needed to repent and ask for forgiveness. And I'm grateful that that experience in the pit was used so that I could grow in who I am as a follower of Christ. See, when Jesus became a man, embraced his weakness, and therefore went to the cross on our behalf, he conquered the pit of God's wrath and condemnation. And listen to this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, the cross means that I can face my weaknesses without fear of condemnation. Do you get that? I can now confront my weaknesses and where I need to grow and not fear rejection. I can trust that God will use the pit, even if it feels unfair, to grow me and produce joy in me, not tear me down. When you're in the pit, what would it look like for you to transfer your focus from why this is unfair and who has wronged you and why all of the reasons why this is just terrible and transfer that focus over to how does this expose where I need to grow? If our weaknesses no longer condemn us, then facing our weaknesses can only mean joy and growth for us. Uh, If your marriage is rocky right now, what does it look like to transfer your focus from everything they're doing wrong and every reason why they need to be the ones to pay for everything that's happened and transfer that over to where do I need to be a better spouse? I'm not saying that they don't need to apologize or hurt hasn't been done, but how can we use this experience to grow? If your job is tough right now, how is that exposing your weaknesses? Not just your company's weaknesses or your boss's weaknesses or your coworker's weaknesses. If your children are a challenge or if you're drowning in debt, if, if you're living life every day frustrated with how your life has turned out, how does that expose your weaknesses? Because the cross of Jesus Christ frees you to confront those without fear. And let me tell you what, here's why it's worth doing this. I'll tell you right now why it's worth confronting your weaknesses. The number three, number three way that we not waste our time in the pit is this, is because we can then embrace our ministry. Philippians chapter two, verses nine through 11, we see have Christ has come, he came to be with us, he was died on the cross, verse nine, and it says, for this reason God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, lifted him out of the pit. 
so that as the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. After Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sin, he dies, he goes into the grave, but just like God raised Jonah out of the pit, so God also raised Jesus from the pit of death itself. And now Jesus is our risen Lord, is exalted above every name. He sits at the right hand of God and listen, he is now our mediator. That is his ministry now. We can be reconciled with God and given eternal life if we place our faith in Jesus as our mediator, as the one who has covered our sins. In the same way, when God lifts us out of the pit after doing some work in our hearts, it also means he has a ministry for us to do. This is what Jonah did immediately when he was lifted out of the pit. He went and preached. See, when you go through the process of facing the struggles of life, embracing God's sovereignty and embracing your weaknesses, it prepares you to do mediatorial work just like Jesus did for us. Jesus stands on the other side of the grave and gives us a reason to have faith in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. And we get to be people who stand on the other side of the pit, encouraging those who are stuck inside the pit that God is faithful and this is for your joy. If you've had a rocky marriage and that has been healed by the grace of God, then you have a ministry to encourage marriages that are in the pit. Right, if, if, if you've learned the secret of joy in singleness, you need to encourage those struggling with loneliness today. Right, if you've walked that hard road, that hard road of depression and anxiety and you've been through it, let me tell you, the people who are in it now, one of the hardest things for them is there's not many who understand, but you do. And you can stand on the other side of that pit and you can minister the grace of God to those people. Listen, as a follower of Jesus, this will give you more joy than anything else. Ministering to people in the pit. Taking your experiences down there and seeing God's redemption and grace in your life and using that to encourage others. Nothing will give you more joy in this life. Nothing will compare. Let's not waste our time in the pit, Grace Hill. Let's not numb ourselves while we're in it. Let's not distract ourselves while we're in it. Let's be a church that encourages one another. Let's be a church that helps lift one another out. Let's be a church that believes in the sovereignty and the goodness of God, that he's a God of redemption, and that he has given us the promise that when we're out and we're on the other side, we can look back on the struggles and the pits of our life, no matter how hard they were, and we can praise God for how he has brought redemption to our lives. We serve a God who is sovereign and is gracious. So what I wanna do this morning is I wanna just invite everyone here who's a follower of Jesus, I wanna invite you to come to the communion table this morning. When we come to the table, what we do is we remember the cross. 
We remember what Christ has done for us. Remember the pit that Christ endured on our behalf so we would not have to. And so we take bread and we break it and we remember how the body of Jesus was broken so that we would not have to face the wrath of God. Jesus endured that pit for us. When we take the cup and we drink the juice and we're reminded of the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us to cleanse us from our sins so that we would never have to live in fear of condemnation. We can claim that promise in Romans 8.1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No buts to that. So if you believe in Jesus this morning, I invite you to come to the table and I'm gonna pray for us and, and after I pray, come forward. You can take the elements and I want you to spend some time at your seat just in remembrance of God's grace on your life and celebrate that the pit of death is no longer one you have to fear. And as you remember and as you celebrate, ask God to give you strength to face the struggles of your life, trusting that God is using them for your joy. And then you can take the elements when you're ready. But let me also just say this, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're not sure what you believe yet, you're wrestling, you're exploring, we're so glad that you're here. We so badly wanna be a church where you can come and wrestle with your questions in your own time. But I also want you to know this, that if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, that what that means for you is that your sins are not covered. And the pits of this life will not compare to the pit of God's judgment if our sins are not covered by the blood of Christ. But I want you to know this morning There is grace and mercy available to you right now. God freely offers his grace and his mercy to all who will receive it. You don't have to live your life good enough to earn God's grace. That wouldn't be grace. He offers it to you if you confess that you need it. God, I'm a sinner and I need your grace. The only hope that I have is that Christ's blood would be credited to me. And so all it takes is faith. Faith that Jesus has done all that is needed to be done to cover your sins and make you right with God. So here's my question for you if you're here. Will you place your faith in Jesus right now? And have your sins covered right now? It is offered to you in this moment. And if that's something you wanna do, I would love to have the joy and pleasure to pray with you during that time. So come find me, I'll be down here or wherever. Come find me, I'd love to pray with you in that moment. But will you accept his grace right now? Let me pray for us and then you can come to the table. Father, I pray just in this moment that, Lord, if there is anyone in this room who is going through just the deepest of struggles, they can identify with that word pit and they can say, yep, I'm I'm in it. 
Lord, in this moment right now, would you just give them a glimpse of your grace and your mercy and your tender, loving care in their life? Would you let them feel your embrace right now that that things are not out of control, that you have not left them? Lord, would you let our church minister to them and care for them? And God, I pray right now if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know Christ, that Lord, you would just open their hearts to the warmth of your grace in this moment right now. Bring new life in this room. And I pray for all of us as we come to the table and we eat of the bread and we drink of the juice that Lord, you would remind us of the cross of Jesus Christ and Lord, we would feel the security that we have as your children that will never be taken away from us. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Christ's name, amen.